Hey guys, this is Matt from the Skeptic Squared podcast. I'm just letting you know that you are about to listen to an episode of the show recorded before we chose the name Skeptic Squared, and our contact information is different from what you will hear during this recording. If you would like to contact us, you can email us at skepticsquaredpodcast at gmail.com. You can also visit the show's blog at www.skepticsquaredpodcast.blogspot.com. As always, if you like what you hear, please rate us and leave a review. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Circle Squared Podcast. A safe place to make light of sacred things. My name is Matt. And I'm Corinne. And on this program, we will discuss various topics and current events pertaining to religion, atheism, and skepticism. Our goal is not to insult believers. Although that will probably happen from time to time. But rather to express our views on these issues in a way which may benefit and entertain others. Or maybe we just want to stroke our own egos. You decide. Hello and welcome to the Circle Squared Podcast. Today is Saturday, October 10th, 2015, and with me is my lovely wife, Corinne. Hi. We have a great program planned for you today. We will be discussing a few different topics. We'll be starting out with the purpose and direction of the show, you know, answering the question, why do a podcast in the first place? Um, we'll be sharing our religious backgrounds and our personal stories. Um, if you would like to contact us, you can email us at circlesquaredpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also view the show's blog at www.circlesquaredpodcast.blogspot.com and leave a comment there. As time goes on, we may add a Twitter account or a Facebook page, depending on interest from, from listeners. So if you like what you hear, please rate us and leave a review on whatever platform you find us. Okay, so let's start with the purpose and the direction of the show. Like, why are we doing this podcast in the first place? Um, so for me, um, I, I, I was trying to think of like my reasons for it um, the other day and I actually wrote down some stuff um, kind of explaining like where I was coming from, like kind of my, my motivations for it. Um, I think that they're pretty similar to yours, right, Corinne? Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm doing it mostly because you want to. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> um, so I, I kind of wrote something down, but I don't, I don't know that I necessarily want to just read it. But some of the things that I wrote down um, are that, you know, we, we've been listening to lots of different podcasts for the last year or so, uh, me a little bit longer than Corinne has. Um, and, you know, some of the, the podcasts do a really good job of, like, having – you know, interesting guests. They have like, you know, all these scientists and philosophers. They get apologists coming on, and they have these cool debates and things, which is great. You know, I, I, I certainly enjoy listening to, to those podcasts. Um, but we were we were talking recently, Corinne and I, um, and some of the podcasts that were the most impactful for us were actually the ones that weren't with experts. They were just regular people sharing their story. Um, which kind of uh, brings like why we're doing this little interview sort of thing where we're kind of 
talking to each other, sharing each other's stories, asking each other questions. Um, so there is one part that I I think I do want to read just because it, it says it better than I'm going to say it off the top of my head. So I'll just read it. A few years ago, uh, newspaper columnist Dan Savage started an outreach program for the gay community called the It Gets Better Project. Dan and his husband created a video in which they spoke to gay teens who find themselves in adverse situations because of their sexual orientation, often struggling with depression and suicidal thoughts. And they reassured them that as they grow older and become more independent, their situation will get better. They were able to get a number of celebrities and public figures to create similar videos, including uh, Stephen Colbert and Barack Obama, where the true strength of the It Gets Better project is that regular everyday people began to join in the conversation and tell their own stories. A groundswell movement grew out of the whole thing, and it has given support to numerous gay people struggling with their situation. And that's really what like, I, w I want this podcast to kind of become, is sort of a support for people that go through these faith crises. And, uh, and I remember for me, like, um, you know, feelings of, you know, loneliness, isolation, like I had all these people around me, but they were all of the same um, mindset, you know, like living in Utah, um, like, like everybody here is Mormon, everybody follows the same kind of philosophy, life, you know, uh, worldview. And, um, and being somebody that doesn't follow that same route can set you apart and make you alienated. And it f just feels terrible a lot of times. And a lot of people don't feel like they have anywhere to turn to for support. Um, so as we do the, this podcast, I mean, we're, we're going to be doing lots of different segments and talking about lots of different things. Um, but one of the things that I want to do with this podcast is to interview people in the same way that like say Mormon stories does, um, where they do in-depth interviews, um, with experts and do those kinds of interviews with just regular people and get their story out there so that they can see, so other people can see that they're not alone that they have other people that have things in common with them and can be something of a support for them. So to do this, uh, we, we kind of had the idea of starting out with ourselves, interviewing each other, which is a little bit weird, I suppose, because we are married. Um, so a lot of this stuff that we're gonna be asking each other, um, we already know about each other. But that's not really the point. The point is that we want stories to be out. We want people to, to hear our story and hear other people's stories. So that's why we're doing this. So let's start with me asking Corinne some questions. Hello, Corinne. Hello, How are you doing? Fine. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start out with um, a simple question. Um, what was your upbringing like? I was raised LDS born in Utah in Orem lived here for a couple of years and then we moved to California um, stayed there until I was 11 uh, we were not like in the place that we were at in California we weren't surrounded by Mormons it was kind of a up-and-coming farm town turning into a city and so most of my friends and associations were not LDS um, then we moved here which I was not happy about why is that I just didn't want to leave. I had friends. Making friends isn't easy. Okay, so a lot of the usual reasons. Yeah, most of the usual mm -hmm. reasons. I didn't understand that Utah was Mormon town. 
that never crossed my mind. Okay. That wasn't the reason why I didn't want to move. Um, let's see. So we moved here. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just, I did all the Mormon things. Went to Young Women's Achievement Days before Young Women's. Um, went to church every Sunday unless I was sick. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. So, so when you moved from California to Utah, mm-hmm. I mean, you were you were only eleven, right? Yeah. Um, did you notice like the difference in culture, like as far as like everybody being Mormon in Utah versus in California, or is that something that came later? Uh, that came a little bit later. I was so I was in sixth grade when we moved here, and I don't know. I probably didn't really start noticing things were the same until middle school, like eighth, ninth grade. Okay, so a little bit, a little bit of time passed. Um, what is the religious background of your family? Um, my mom's side, all LDS. I don't know how far back they go. Unlike a lot of Mormon families, my family doesn't really talk about like pioneer stories or anything. So I don't know mm-hmm. if we had people cross the plains or if we're converts a few generations back. I'm not sure about that. My dad's side is not LDS. Um, he converted when he was 13. Um, with his mom and one of his sisters. Actually, he, I think his brother did too. Did he ever tell you why he why? joined the church? Um, all I know is that initially he was against it. Eventually he felt that it was right and joined. Did he have like friends that were Mormon? Uh-uh. Or was it like a, a family member that got him in? Uh, his stepdad um, wanted the missionaries to come and talk to them. Um, his stepdad didn't join, which is mm. awesome, but uh, <laughs> his mom and his sister and his brother did. His brother is not a member. I don't think he was really into it. Okay. Okay. Um, what is the background, or I guess the the religious standing in your family right now? Right like where, now, where are people at? Um, in my immediate family... Both my parents are still members, my two younger brothers are, and one of my younger sisters is still very much into the church. I have another sister who left before I did, um, due mostly to homosexuality. She, mm-hmm. you know, it just slowly started leaving and eventually came out and, yeah. So one of your sisters is a homosexual, and that became yeah. a rift with her in the church in the church yeah Yeah. not really with my family my parents have been largely accepting i mean they they blame one of her friends for turning her gay is my suspicion but right so other than that they're largely accepting right so that's that's an interesting point because a lot of people in the church um have this idea that homosexuality is a sin because it's choice and and that means that they can choose to not be gay right that they can, I guess, in, in essence, choose to be straight, or some people advocate, you know, through enough prayer and fasting and reading scriptures, mm-hmm. that, that can help them be straight. Um, and not that, even just straight, just not acting on the desires, which is where right. I think they're at. I don't think they believe that it's necessarily a choice at this point. Right, which, which is the, the next point that I was going to make is that, um, like, it's kind of a shifting view in the church right now there's like there's this older view mm-hmm. that a lot of people cling to especially the older generations where it's a choice people can change um people should change and now that there's more research being done like social research um 
the church is facing the fact that it's not actually a choice, that there are factors outside of a person's control that contribute to these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and it, you know, it, it's creating this, this new social uh, movement within the church. Um, and so a lot of people, it sounds like your parents are included, mm-hmm. are kind of reevaluating the way that they look at homosexuals. And, and it sounds like your sister's kind of caught in the middle of that a little bit. A little bit, but it helps that she's not in Utah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's caught in the middle, but in the periphery at the same time. Yeah. Sounds like she kind of got out while she could. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. We're in the Air Force. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Air Force will help with that, I'm sure. Um, so how do you self-identify religiously now, and why? Well, I am definitely no longer LDS. Um, I probably hover... I don't know, I guess I could say I'm an atheist, but at times I still have, I still wonder sometimes if there's something out there, but for, for the most part, I'd say the evidence is otherwise. Okay, so um, you don't see evidence for a god? Not really. If anything, I'd say it'd be more of a deistic point of view, a god that doesn't interfere. But okay. I don't know that I really believe that either. Is that sort of like a, a middle ground... It's definitely a middle ground. I'm still, I'm still very much on my journey. I've only been out for like a year. You know? Yeah, well, yeah, that, that was kind of going to be my next part. Yeah, <laughs> getting ahead of me a little bit. Um, okay, so let's talk about that. So, um, you know, about a year ago, you say you started having concerns and doubts. Um, what were some of the things that you started to have doubts about? Well. I'd say doubts really, I had doubts being in the church, Mm -hmm. but I didn't recognize them in large part as being doubts, if that makes any sense. It's like I had questions, but I wasn't willing to really think about them or pursue any avenue of information just because it's largely, you know, squashed, like it's not encouraged at all. Mm -hmm. And my personality being what it is, like I, I follow the rules and so I did what I was told you know yeah but you know occasionally it comes up it's like something didn't feel right but i knew it was supposed to feel right so i had doubts before but i didn't really start to actually question them until i met you so like a year and a half ago mm-hmm. but it was still it was still hard initially yeah just because you know i'm still wrapped up in that mormon mindset where it's like bad feelings i get bad feelings from you know evidence I'm not supposed to feel bad. Like, if it's bad, it's not right. Meaning evidence that says something against what the church teaches. Against what the church teaches, yeah. Yeah. And that made you feel bad. Yeah. And bad feelings in the church means that it's not of the spirit. It's not right. Mm -hmm. And so, while I still, like, listened to the things, you know, that we, you know, we would still talk and stuff. We would listen Mm -hmm. to Christopher Hitchens or whatever. And I, you know, I was still listen to it but inside I'm like thinking I need to put up a mental wall so it doesn't actually get inside if that makes sense right and that lasted for a few months right and that's a, a common thing that I've heard a lot of people talk about is that they it's what uh, I think the term that a lot of people use is compartmentalization mm-hmm. it's like they build these these mental compartments right where on the one side they will have their religious beliefs that they build based on faith, mm-hmm. based on things that they you know were taught when they were growing up, um, and then on the other side they have like scientific evidence. They've got all of these people and books and learning. You know, the learning of the world is a, a common phrase. Mm-hmm. 
and they keep those two things separate. And and then and, and this is I guess uh, something that I struggled with as well, which will get to me later. Mm-hmm. But when those two things collide, it can be um, just earth shattering. Yeah, like it it wrecks your worldview mm-hmm. when those things don't jive. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, so what were some of the things that you questioned around that time? Um. That is a good question. Hmm. I don't know. Like, were they like historical issues in the church? Was it more like like conceptual things? Like, is there a God? Does prayer work? I think it was more conceptual. The prayer thing definitely came up quite often in my head. I don't think I ever voiced those concerns initially. Mm-hmm. Prayer was one of the biggest things for me to give up. Just because it's so easy to, like, shoot up a prayer, like, in your head. Mm-hmm. Which is something that I did co- uh, quite often. Like, just driving down the street, please don't let me crash, you know? Mm-hmm. Just things like that. So prayer was a big thing, and then wondering if it did work, and experimenting with that in my own way, like, not praying that I would sleep well and have a good day the next day, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and realizing that nothing was changing. I was still safe. I wasn't, you know, okay. <laughs> I wasn't dying in my sleep, things like that. Um so probably more conceptual things, but the break didn't really come until the whole polygamy thing came up, and I discovered that Joseph Smith was a polygamist because I was definitely one of those Mormons that didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And so how did you feel that. when you when you uncovered that? Well, growing up in the church, you're taught the circular reasoning that if the book of if you read the Book of Mormon and you take part in Moroni's promise and you discover that it's true, then that automatically means that Joseph Smith was a true prophet, and that automatically means that the church is true. Mm-hmm. And I took that on faith, obviously. <laughs> and But that means they also say that if one of those isn't true, then nothing else is true. And It's an all-or-nothing. It's an all-or-nothing thing. And mm-hmm. when I found that out, I was like, holy crap, Joseph Smith is not the man I was taught he was. And that just, after that, I was like, this church is bullcrap. <laughs> like, it, it really was that fast, too. And that's when I started doing my own research, when I was more into reading books and, mm-hmm. yeah watching things with you. So what are some of the things that you found out about Joseph's polygamy that bothered you? Um, well, number one was he was a polygamist because in the church they do not talk about that. They only talk about Emma being his wife. And Emma is built up to be this amazing woman. Um, but then you find out that he was a polygamist. He had all of these wives that he didn't tell her about. And the sneaky ways that he got around it and just keeping it from other people. It was an inside circle thing. Like, Mm -hmm. the vast majority of church members weren't polygamists. It was only, like, his inner circle that were allowed to have multiple wives. And they still lied to other people. And he coerced people into lying to the government, saying that polygamy wasn't a thing. Like, he was just a very manipulative guy. And that never comes across in church, ever. He is Mm -hmm. always the victim. Yeah, I I remember... um... One of the things that I first heard about as far as him manipulating people or manipulating the situation of polygamy um, was the, the, uh, the was it the Nauvoo Expositor, the newspaper, mm-hmm. the local newspaper that was writing about his polygamous uh, dealings. And, and when he found out about it, he didn't like that they were telling the truth of what he was doing because mm-hmm. he wanted to stay secret. So he had it destroyed. And that re- like set off this chain of events that eventually led to him being killed. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I, I imagine you heard that story 
after you started like hearing about all the bad things that Joseph Smith was doing with polygamy, mm-hmm. like 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 what did you think about that? Well, I think you probably told me that before I really looked into polygamy. It was one of those things I was like, no, I don't think that's really the way it happened. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, it's like researching polygamy. That's exactly what happened. And there are other articles and things that link to that too. So. And it makes sense once you mm-hmm. find out that he was a polygamist and how manipulative he was. It just, after that, I wasn't surprised. And it made the two trips I've taken to Carthage jail <laughs> seem just really, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's just laughable now. So what was Carthage like? Carthage, for listeners, is where Joseph Smith um, was jailed after he had conspired to have the Nauvoo Expositor destroyed. Um, they sent him to the Carthage prison or Carthage jail, and there he sat for a couple of days. And then a mob of angry locals came in, broke down the door, and, and shot him. So that's how he died. Um, so Carthage, I mean, it's it's small. You don't have to go on a guided tour, I don't think, but you can. There's two elderly missionaries that work there that are super excited about telling the story, and. I don't really remember my first experience there. I was with my family. I was, you know, like 12 or 13 probably, so it didn't really mean anything. Mm -hmm. The second time I went was on a road trip back from Virginia with one of my good friends. And we stopped there along the way because she had never been there and she wanted to take her daughter there. Um, So we went and, I mean, it's really, the jail is just like a little house type thing. And they take you through, they show you where like the guards sit and... Um, who sat where, and then they take you upstairs where there's like a little prison cell um, where the prisoners are supposed to be kept, but Joseph and his cronies were not kept in there. They were kept in like this little bedroom area. And in like when they take you in there, they have benches and stuff um, around um, the outside of the room, and you can sit there, and then they play this track of like mob noises and gunshots. Like they're trying, yeah, it's a reenactment. They're trying to recreate the experience for you. And when you go with a lot of people, you can see that. It, People are, like, really moved by this. They're, like, women are <laughs> tearing up, you know? Mm-hmm. Guys are trying not to show that it means anything. But it was just me and my friend when we were there. And I just remember feeling like the whole thing was ridiculous. I, I hate reenactments of anything. Like, it's just so something really I don't have... respond to. I didn't have a spiritual experience. Okay. You felt like it was a bit forced? Yeah. It's yeah. completely forced. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so uh, we talked a little bit about your family's uh, background, mm-hmm. um, and okay, so like, what is your family's view of your position now? I honestly don't know because I'm not that open about it. I had one, I've had a couple of discussions with my mom. Whenever my parents want to take me out to lunch one on one, it's a nerve wracking experience for me because I know that they want to talk about something. Um, so the first time was a few months after uh, Matt and I started dating and um, we were at this Thai place and she asked me point blank what my testimony was Mm -hmm. (laughs) and in a situation like that where I'm not prepared for anything I couldn't come up with it a lie or anything so I, I said you know what I don't really know at this point I have questions I have doubts at that point, I still very much believe in a God and a Jesus and a Holy Ghost. I just wasn't sure that the church was true anymore. This was still mm-hmm. before the polygamy thing, where things were starting to sink in, but not. I wasn't ready to accept them as being anything more than, I don't know. Right. Um, and then another conversation 
was basically the same. It was later on. Um, it was be- still before we got married, though. And again, my mom wanted to take me out to lunch. Um, and I don't even remember how we got on the topic, but we started talking about tithing. And she asked, she begged me to still pay my tithing. And I said I wasn't going to pay my tithing. And she said, you know, she did the whole story where, like, she knows that tithing is a real thing because, you know, she's gone over finances and Mm -hmm. somehow money appears where it's not supposed to be, you know, just stupid things like that. And I'm just rolling my eyes in my head, but I didn't, I don't know. I have a hard time. I'm not a confrontational person. So anytime, like, views clash, I very much stay quiet. And that's pretty much where we're at. I know Mm -hmm. they know that we're not, that I'm not going to church, but it's not in the conversation. I don't know. So for the most part, it's just kind of avoided. It's avoided. And I think they're hoping that it's just a rebellious stage. Like most Mormons do think that. As soon as a child leaves, they think, oh, it's just a rebellion. You know, they wanted mm-hmm. to experiment with something. Eventually they'll realize the truth and they'll come back. And quite often that is the case. I had lots of friends in high school that that happened to. But mm-hmm. it was because they only wanted to leave to drink, to experiment with drugs, possibly to have sex, you know, things like mm-hmm. that. And then eventually it's like, this life sucks. And so they come back. But, I mean, it's completely different for us, for me. Uh-huh. And i they're not willing, I don't think they're willing to comprehend that, accept that, or even talk about it again. And okay. I'm not either. I just I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Um, what about um, siblings? Um, Missy, Melissa, my sister, the one um, that is also out of the church, um, is the only one that I've kind of talked to um, about, you know, discrepancies, historical things, um, just issues in general with religion. Um, not really with Megan. I don't spend a lot of time with Megan or Daniel or Chris. I mean, Chris is still 14, and I don't feel comfortable mm-hmm. talking about stuff like that when he's very much under the same roof as my parents. So, I and mean, why, as far as why is that? Why, why would you avoid talking to him about it? Because that's just a lot of pressure on a 14-year-old kid. Uh-huh. I mean, he's the youngest kid. There's like a nine-year gap between him and my brother. Mm-hmm. And so he's quite, he's really close. I mean, he's the last child, but he's also kind of an only child. And so my parents very much are attached to him, mm-hmm. and he's very much attached to my parents. So it's it's a weird dynamic. Chris and I have a good relationship, but it's not to the point yet where I feel like he's old enough to, like, really address issues like that, mm-hmm. you know? I, the reason I ask is because my youngest brother is also a few years younger than um, the, the sibling that's above him. Um, and when I was starting to have, like, my doubts and starting to ask questions, um, he was in high school, he was starting to get ready to go on a mission and go to, you know, BYU, and I had... You know, a similar kind of attitude, and, and I think that's a, a pretty common attitude. Yeah. Like you, like you are willing to talk to um, parents, older siblings, but the younger siblings are kind of off limits. Yeah. Like you don't want to cross that, or at least I didn't want to cross that because I knew that if I did, that would make my parents just livid. Yeah. I don't want to. I mean, it's still like he is still their son. I want to be respectful of their beliefs. I mean, I still think it's sad that he's wrapped up in it, but it's like it's a fine line mm-hmm. you walk when you mess with someone's child. Yeah. When they're not old enough to fend for themselves or, mm-hmm. you know. So what 
would it take to get you to go back to church? I don't ever want to go back to church. <laughs> I hated going to church growing up. I really did. I never liked it. I remember being young, like four or five years mm-hmm. old, and not wanting to go because I had to wear a skirt. Just a simple thing like that was enough to want me to stay home. Mm-hmm. I did not understand why I had to wear a skirt and boys could wear pants or shorts. I hated it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would wear shorts under my skirts or whatever, and kind of like, ha-ha, still wearing shorts, even <laughs> though I was still wearing a skirt over the top. But, you know, from very little, I did not like going to church. It's long. It's boring. Mm-hmm. You know, people are just talking at you. And I mentioned this to you before. I'm mm-hmm. not an auditory learner. I don't like learning that way. Uh-huh. And just looking at a picture that's been printed off like 50 million times and is circulated throughout the church, it just it doesn't do it for me. Like, mm-hmm. I don't... There just isn't an enjoyable aspect of exactly. the church for you. I mean, I remember a few like object lessons and stuff that I really enjoyed, but I never really enjoyed going to church. Okay. Um, so we've already talked about polygamy. Um, unless there's anything else that you wanted to say about it. No, that can be something different. Okay. <laughs> well, we could do a series of shows yeah, exactly. just on the polygamy. It's already a podcast on that. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. There, there is another podcast that is dedicated entirely to polygamy. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't recall what it's called. I though. think it's called A Year of Polygamy, even though it's been more than a year. Okay. Um, so... Another issue um, common in the church is women in the Mormon church. Yes. <laughs> that is also a thing that I always had a problem with, but didn't know how to voice the concern necessarily or put into words why it bothered me so much. Mm-hmm. I recognized that there were um, inequalities, but at the same time, you're brought up to believe these things. And so I, it was like a war within myself all the time. It's like, I don't think this is right, but I'm told that it's right, so it should be right, but it still doesn't feel right. I mean, and large, I really started to notice it when I got into young women's, especially with things like activities and campouts and stuff. Mm-hmm. So boys got a lot, their budget is far and away larger than young women's. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's really obvious when you look at their... Right, they're doing all the scouting, high adventure stuff, yeah. going out camping. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it drove me crazy. I hated that my friends could go on multiple campouts throughout the entire year. Like, they went on a winter campout. You know, they Mm -hmm. have lots of campouts over the summer. Even if it's just a weekend, they had a lot more opportunities to just go out and do things. And then the scouting program was the other thing. The boys have the scouting program. You know, they learn to to swim, to tie knots, you know, Mm -hmm. to build fires, survive in the wild or whatever. Lots of really cool things that could prove useful in the future. You know, Mm -hmm. you never know. Especially with all this Mormon doomsday prepping going on. Exactly. You would think that they would spend more time (laughs) with the girls learning this stuff. But no, the girls spend time cooking, learning how to bake, learning how to arrange things, doing crafts, things like that. And it it quite often got on my nerves. It wasn't mm. something that I always voiced, but, you know, I did my own little things, like, to show people that I was not happy with a certain activity. Mm. Um, the biggest thing, though, I remember was I was I was always in the um, Young Women's Presidency. Most of the time I was president. And so by being president, I was involved in lots of um, planning meetings and stuff, especially where camps were involved. And I... Uh, I think I was a Laurel at this point. It's probably my first year being Laurel. So Laurel is, what, 16? Yeah, 16 to 18. Okay. Um, So I was probably 16, probably 16 at this point. And I really wanted us to go to the um, Grand Tetons, I think that's what it's called, for our high high adventure camp, which is just for um, the upper level 
girls. So I think it's like 14, 14 to 18. It might, yeah, I think it's Lion Maids and Morals. So the young 12, 13 year old girls okay. aren't allowed to go. Right. And it's supposed to be, it's called high adventure. So it's supposed to be more of an adventure. You don't do quite as many like um, church related things, spiritual things. It's really just to go mm-hmm. camping and experience things. Which is by and large what the boys do. Exactly. Every time. Mm-hmm. Every time. (laughs) So I wanted to go to the Grand Tetons, but I was told we couldn't because a new um, mile restriction had been put over the stake or whatever, which was a 300-mile radius or something like that. And the Grand Tetons were just out of that 300-mile radius. I looked it up. It's literally like 301 miles outside of (laughs) the South Jordan area. And I was told that we couldn't go for that reason, that it was outside of the radius. Can't go. Discussion Mm -hmm. closed. But that same summer, the boys got to go. And it uh, it made me livid. I was so upset. I can't even remember what we ended up doing for High Adventure. I mean, it was that lame. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It still drives me nuts. It's like the boys were able to go, but the girls couldn't go. It was like just blatant sexism. Yeah, it really was. Just absolutely favoring one, one yeah. sex over the other. I think since then, the girls have gone, possibly. But, I mean... Yeah, I, I was very upset. <laughs> so there's a, a growing movement in the Mormon church right now mm-hmm. um, called Ordain Women. Mm-hmm. Um, Kate Kelly famously was excommunicated from the church mm-hmm. about a year ago, I think it was, um, for her involvement with the, uh, with the Ordain Women movement. Mm-hmm. Um, what, are, what are your views on women getting the priesthood? Well, now, I mean, I think it's ridiculous because the priesthood isn't like a real thing Mm -hmm. um but i have thought about that before like if i was still in the church still really believed it would i want to be a part of that movement and i never like felt like i should have the priesthood alongside the boys for some reason that was one equality that i never thought about okay so if i was still in the church i'm not sure that i would agree with women getting the priesthood i was more concerned with um funds really and Mm -hmm. experiences like that so having um separate but equal activities Mm -hmm. rather than having the same activities yeah except i wasn't upset that we didn't get to do things with the boys all the time because we did i mean once a month Mm -hmm. we usually had a combined activity and that was fun Mm -hmm. um i do think it's fine for like girls to have their own things and guys to have their own things but i think they should be a little more equal um i don't know so i don't know if i would have been completely in favor of ordained women. I think there are a couple of other women's movements too that are going on that I might have considered joining, but I can't recall the names at the moment. Okay. Ordained women is the main one that I'm aware of. I think it's called like Femwalk or something. I don't really, I don't know what it stands for. I'm not familiar with that one. Yeah, I haven't really looked into it, but from what I heard. So, um, have you ever received an answer to a prayer or a spiritual witness? Uh, spiritual witness as far as like the Book of Mormon is concerned? Sure. No. I don't recall ever feeling like this overwhelming feeling, oh my gosh, this is true. It was more, you know, I put the work in to read it. I should get an answer. Maybe the reason I'm not getting an answer is because I have like some sin I haven't repented of. Which was my mm-hmm. excuse for everything. It's like, this isn't happening because I did something wrong. Mm-hmm. So the the blame isn't ever but the church isn't true. Right. Like it that's was, not why you're not I getting an answer. Wrong. You you did something wrong, therefore God isn't answering you. Exactly. Okay. Um 
I can think of a few, like, times when I felt like the spirit was, you know, present. One time, I was, like, eight or nine, probably, singing um, Armies of Helaman. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I loved that song when I was a a, primary It's got a great chorus. Yeah. Yeah, and it was the chorus that moved me. And it moved me and my little friend so much. Like, we stood up in the middle of primary and just started singing our hearts out. So that was the first time I remember, like, feeling the spirit, Um, Mm quote-unquote. Yeah. I mean, another time was my mom got really sick. Um, It was probably 13 or 14. It turned out to be her gallbladder, but for a long time, nobody knew what it was. And she was... It was really sick. It's not fun when your gallbladder isn't working. Mm-hmm. And I I quite often automatically go to worst case scenario, and I was thinking, my mom is going to die. I am the oldest child. I am the girl. I am going to have to take care of this family. And it terrified me. Mm-hmm. And so I spent a lot of time, like, praying about it, just asking God, please don't kill her. Please don't kill her. Um, but I didn't feel, like, comforted until I talked to my bishop about it. Mm-hmm. It was just some random interview, too. It wasn't... I like I asked for it or anything. It was probably a temple recommended interview. And I just broke down and sobbed, uh-huh. which I hated because then you come out of the bishop's office and there are other people around waiting for their turn and your face is like red the, and swollen and they think the that eyes. you just confessed like an awful sin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that was another time. Um, and then the most recent time was, I just talked to you about this actually, was um, sitting in state conference. I really wanted to go to England and join this um, kind of internship. It was a film-type internship, and I really wanted to go, but I didn't have quite enough money. Like, if I went, I would have no money when I got there. Mm -hmm. But I still really wanted to go. I was more or less like, I'm just going to do it. I just need to do it. But sitting in state conference, (laughs) I just suddenly got this overwhelming feeling that this is not what I should be doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, looking back, it was because I didn't have the money. And I knew it was because I didn't have the money. But my mom said that she had a similar feeling in state conference. And I was like, oh, my gosh, the spirit spoke to both of us at the exact same time. Like this. <laughs> wow. So I've never felt special. that before. It made it extra special and, like, made me resolve even more not to go, not to even think about it. It was like, I'm not going. That's it. That's done. Mm-hmm. You know. So those were those are kind of the only spiritual experiences I remember really having. So going back to the feeling that you felt during the music. Um, have you ever felt similar kinds of feelings just listening to regular music, non-church music, or watching movies, um, anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I love movies, and I really like um, listening to soundtracks, especially if I like the movie. And yeah, I feel stuff like that all the time. Like, I've made myself cry just coming up with stories to go along with a soundtrack that I particularly like. Like, it's <laughs> not an unusual thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so, music can speak to me, I guess. Mm-hmm. So... Do you, do you ever think that there was a difference between the feeling that you felt when you listened to church music versus secular music, or were they the same thing? It's probably the same thing. I didn't really think about it a lot. I didn't compare them. Okay. That's fair. Um, I, I just know that some people like to think that there's this difference between mm-hmm. the two. Like, the, like right. the sensation that they get when they listen to church music mm-hmm. is this this extra special kind of right. sensation that they get, and that's how they know mm-hmm. that, that God's talking to them, as opposed to when they listen to, I don't know, 
an opera or right. whatever. Well, I don't particularly <laughs> care for church music in general. That particular song, for some reason, though, just like, it's burning in my bosom. Uh-huh. <laughs> I gotta stand up and proclaim it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, we already talked about, um, you know, you don't really find much joy in going to church. So I'm going to skip this particular question, but there's another part to the question. Do you find any value in religion? Any value in religion? Um, I mean, the one good thing about the Mormon church is the community it builds. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sucks when you leave and you're suddenly torn from that community, but I think religion can you know, offer support and stuff to people. The only bad thing is that they are doing it because they think they're doing it for God. So it's mm-hmm. like a they're know, helping you to service. help themselves. Exactly. I mean, they wouldn't. They, I don't think they think like that. Like they actually have that thought process. But ultimately, that's what it comes down to. I mean, they don't think that people that aren't in religion like to help people. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. It's just. I think that it can build a community. It can offer support. It can offer help to other people, but. I mean, in large part, I think that if religion never existed, we would still be where we are today, hmm. perhaps further. <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, is a, a topic that could take an entire episode. Exactly. Talking about potential uh, stifling of sciences mm-hmm. because of religion. Right. Um, okay. Um, well, I guess that kind of answers the next question. Um, so... Uh, how much wood would a woodchuck chuck? Seriously. <laughs> if a woodchuck could chuck Norris. Was that the question you came up with this morning? <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I have a better one now. Like an actual question. So that was going to be my, my joke ending. So instead I'll ask this one. Um, the movie God's Not Dead. <laughs> which is a joke in and of itself. Which is a joke in and of itself. Tells us that atheists are really just believers who hate God. Right. Why do you hate God? I don't hate God. <laughs> I mean, obvious, the obvious answer is uh, God doesn't exist, so I can't hate something that doesn't exist. But I, like, even if there was a God, I don't think I would necessarily hate him. I just hate what... I hate Joseph Smith. I'll mm-hmm. flat out say that. I hate Joseph Smith, and I hate Brigham Young, and I hate what they created. Mm-hmm. And I hate that it's come to this. I mean, I don't hate my parents because it's what they were brought up in, you know? Mm. And they legitimately think that it's a good thing. I just, I hate Joseph Smith and I hate Brigham Young. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's very direct. (laughs) Okay, now I'm going to turn the time over to you. Crap. Um, Okay, I'm not prepared to ask lots of questions. So if I stumble, I'm sorry. But I guess more or less we should start out the same way. Like, what is your background? So my background is I was raised Mormon, um, grew up in Seattle. Um, I'm the fourth of eight kids, so we got the the classic big Mormon family. Um, My my parents are are big advocates. I remember them mentioning this several times when I was a kid, um, that one of the things that they are meant to do on this earth as Mormons is to multiply and replenish the earth. Which I hate. Which is, yeah, it's just kind of a loathsome concept in and yeah. of itself because it brings out, um, in in some ways, the worst in people. Mm-hmm. I don't mean that in that they do bad things intentionally, right? I mean that it makes them do things like 
have as many kids as they can, regardless of how much money they make or how well they can support them. Mm -hmm. And it puts them in these just insane, um, you know, situations, right? So it also brings up a lot of women issues. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so anyway, so, so my, my family is huge. Um, I have something on the order of a hundred first cousins, which is just mind boggling, even to me. Like I, like I haven't even met all of my cousins. I think I have like 30. Yeah. It's, it's just fascinating just how large my family is mm-hmm. in, in a weird way. Um, going back to the beginnings of the church, um, I do have at least one well-known relative, Parley P. Pratt. Yes, he's, he's a doozy. Yeah, he's a fun one. He's a, he's a, he's a character. Um, he was, for people that don't know, one of the first apostles in Mormonism. He was one of the people that helped Joseph Smith found the church. He also did a lot of missionary work and, and went around traveling, promoting uh, Mormonism. He's, he's, a, he's a very well-known figure in Mormon history. Um, so he's like my great-great-great-grandpa on, I think, my dad's side. There's probably a few more greats in there. I think it's three, but anyways, yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty close. Um, Anyways, uh, my dad, um, he was a a doctor, still is a doctor, family practice. Um, Growing up, he was a bishop, and he was a bishop for a lot longer than most people tend to be bishops. How much longer? Well, the standard is about five five or six years, usually. and he was bishop, I think, for nine. Wow, that's almost stake president. Right, exactly. Like stake presidents usually are like, like nine to ten. Um, so he was a, a bishop, and I think part of the, the way that they got around like the whole five to six rule mm-hmm. is that um, partway through the ward split, it was just uh, getting really big. And I, I remember going to church and like having to sit like in the back of the gym, mm-hmm. you know, to yes. listen to the people talk at me while I was. 10 and not caring just <laughs> just bored out of my mind learning how to crack your knuckles yeah exactly practicing cracking cracking my knuckles which i am quite good at <laughs> um he he also had you know different leadership positions my mom had different leadership positions she primarily um you know probably mostly because she was a mormon housewife with lots of kids tend tended to work with the primary and youth groups and that kind of stuff um, but very well well known figures within the local community. Uh, my dad also did a lot with the local mission. He did he was the local mission doctor. So whenever a missionary there in Seattle would get sick or cut themselves like on something like we had that happen a few times, he would stitch them up or he would give them whatever medicine that they needed. He was the mission doctor. Um, my my uh, let's see my oldest brother. Um, went on a mission while I was, I think, 12. Came back, went to BYU, wrote a book um, about, it was a, let's see, it was a missionary reference guide. Um, and at the time, he was very gung-ho about the church. Um, I won't go into specifics about his situation, but um, long story short, he's had um, kind of a, a sour experience with a divorce, um, that happened a few years ago. And so he's kind of been off and on going to church. Um, I'm not sure exactly what he's doing these days. I do, I do know that he's um, republished his book that he wrote, 
Um, so he's, he's probably trying to get back more into activity. He's remarried. Um, has two other kids. It has That's a couple more kids. Probably plays a lot into it. Sure. Um, my, let's see, my, pretty much all of my siblings are either doctors of some sort or aspiring to be doctors of some sort. Or, or married to a doctor of some sort. Okay. <laughs> and I include PhDs in that as well, um, just for simplicity. Um, so we would, let's see, we, we, we grew up in Seattle. I, I went on a mission um, in 2000, end of 2000, went to Bulgaria, which at the time was the largest geographical mission in the world for Mormons. Um, it included the whole of Bulgaria, included included all of Serbia, which um, was closed for about the first half of my mission. They reopened it um, after they had decided that enough time had passed since people started lobbing grenades into people's homes. Oh <laughs> <laughs> um, Macedonia, and yes, I say it with a hard K because that's how they say it. Everybody here says Macedonia. It drives me crazy, but whatever. Um, and Turkey. Um, nobody, no, no missionaries were in Macedonia at the time. I don't know if they've changed that. Um, it was also a very unstable place. The whole area is kind of unstable. The whole area, yeah. <laughs> Eastern Europe is, has been just kind of a hotbed for just, just bad stuff. Yeah. And also Turkey, um, which is the main reason why it's the largest geographical mission because Turkey is like what, like half of Texas or something yeah, ridiculous. It's, so it's just a huge, huge area. Um, and in Turkey, they only had a couple um, senior missionaries, meaning people that were retired and they were just doing humanitarian aid mostly. Um, I think they were on like a military base. Okay. So I never got to go to Turkey or Serbia. I did get, get to go to the border of Macedonia, but I didn't cross the line because missionaries aren't supposed to. You know, <laughs> uh, I, I came home from my mission. Um, I'd heard a few weird things throughout my mission. There was this big um, kind of um, like this growing interest with the missionaries at the time with church history. Um, a lot of people were reading books written by different people um, about like the Journal of Discourses where you get some really fun bits of, of Mormon doctrine from like Brigham Young. and Yeah, you, you get that's where you get the stuff like the Adam God theory, mm -hmm. blood atonements, um, just, just all kinds of stuff. Lots of stuff about polygamy in there. Um, so, like, there, there were a few books uh, from historians, church historians, floating around the mission, and, and so like weird things would come up. But it's always, um, it, it, like, like whenever I would hear these things, like for instance, the first time I had ever heard of the seer stone, which was uh, a thing that had a big reveal over the summer, where they finally um, showed a picture of the seer stone for the first time, yeah. like ever. Right. Even though I'm pretty sure you did see one on one, I think. Maybe, but but anyway. So so the first time I had ever heard of this was on my mission. Some guy, one of the other missionaries, mentioned this that it was this was something that he had heard in church or in, in seminary class or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, no, that can't be real. <laughs> <laughs> like that doesn't make any sense. Uh -huh. You know, and it was it was completely different than what I had been taught. It was totally just just weird, right? It wasn't even necessarily that it was outlandish. It was just weird, mm -hmm. you know. Um, it, and so, like, I kind of had like these seeds of doubt, but I wouldn't really have called them doubts. It was just like, 
well, you know, someday God will explain exactly. it all. That's the answer to everything. That's the answer That's to everything. To. Yeah, yeah, and and it and it carries you through a lot. Mm-hmm. It really does, and and that carried me through um, most of my experience at BYU, Brigham Young University, which is a Mormon-owned university. Um, so so my experience at BYU, by and large, was was fine. Um, academically, uh, BYU does a, pr- a pretty good job in most of their departments. Um, there were a few instances where I had like run-ins with, with conflicts between Mormonism and science. Um, in particular, I, I remember one time in my, my uh, biology class, my entry-level bi- biology class, um, the professor got up on like the first or second day and he handed out a syllabus to everybody. And then he also handed out this two-sided piece of paper. On one side of the piece of paper, it had quotes from general authorities and apostles and presidents over the years um, saying how uh, evolution is fine with Mormon doctrine, how it can fit with the creation story that they teach in like the temples and stuff. And then on the other side, they had quotes from general authorities and church leaders saying the exact opposite, saying men did not come from monkeys. Men are not monkeys. They will never, there will never be evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of this stuff came from, um, I think it was Joseph Fielding Smith, one of the presidents of the church. Mm-hmm. Right. So an earlier, earlier leader, like around, what was it? 1920s or so. Something, something, something like that. So around the time that evolution was like being, um, promoted more in like academia and in schools, mm-hmm. um, but he didn't like it. Like, and so he said a lot of stuff about it that is just false. Um, but the the point that this this professor was making, um, which still just kind of rubs me the wrong way, being a biology professor, mm-hmm. um, was that regardless of whether or not you accept evolution, you can still be a good Mormon, and that was the focus. The focus was being a good Mormon in a biology, in a biology class, right? <laughs> like he, here he is like standing in front of probably like four or 500 students, mm-hmm. most of them freshmen and telling them, you know what? It's more important that you're a good Mormon than that you accept evolution. Interesting. And this is a biology professor. Like it, it's, it still just kind of blows me away. Um, so that so stuff like that would come up and, and I would have to wrestle with it. But you know, like we like we said, like when you accept the mantra that someday God will provide an answer and clear up all of the the conflicts and things, um, like like that takes you a, a really a really long way um, as far as like your cognitive dissonance and compartmentalization. Um, I didn't really start to recognize that I even had doubts. Um, until I think it was my junior year. Uh, So part of the admission process of going to BYU is every year you have to get what's called an ecclesiastical endorsement. That means that you have to go to your local church leader. So for a Mormon, that means going to your bishop. And most- Every year? This is every year. Oh. Yeah. So so every year they do this. Uh And you talk to your bishop and he basically asks you questions about your worthiness, how well you follow um, you know, the, the church's rules and the university's rules. And this is usually put together at the same time that they do tithing settlement. Okay. So tithing settlement, for people that, that don't know, is once a year, usually in December, 
um, you meet with your bishop and tell him that you have been paying your your 10% tithe on your your income um, through throughout the entire year and this is like kind of the way that they gauge your status in the church and decide whether or not you can go to the temple so it's a pretty big deal um, because the temple is where you get the most important ordinances and rituals in, in Mormonism um, and so, so I was meeting with this bishop and we were going over tithing settlement and this is all part of my ecclesiastical endorsement and and I had um, a check that I was going to give to him for a couple hundred bucks that uh, that would get me back to the full ten percent because I was a little bit a little bit behind. Um, because I'm a college student, right? <laughs> I have other things to do. I, I don't have a ton of money. Like I have like a part-time job, you know, with the university actually. Um, and as I'm handing this bishop my check for a few hundred dollars, I, I think to myself, do I really want to give this church, this organization, my money? Like, like, do I really believe that they are a true church, that they deserve to get 10% of my money? Like, do I really believe that? And it was, it was kind of an eye-opening experience, and that just kind of led me down, you know, this rabbit hole of, like, do I really believe this? Have I ever had an answer to a prayer? Have I ever really, you know, believed that the Book of Mormon is true? Um, and and it, it was a very slow process for me. I, I kind of avoided it for a really long time like a couple of years really um in large part because i still had like another year and a half at byu <laughs> you know so imagine right yeah exactly like if if you leave the church as it is right now and there's there's actually a growing movement at, at byu trying to change this but as of right now if you leave mormonism while a student at byu they will kick you out well, isn't it even as little as not going like seventy five percent of the time that they can kick you out? Um, you mean to church? To church, yeah. Um, I'm not sure about that. Um, they they do have lots of rules with the honor code office. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, for instance, get caught having sex with somebody when you're not supposed to, meaning you're not married to them, <laughs> or if you are caught drinking or going to parties where they have drinking, like people have gotten into hot water for that kind of stuff. Um, I do recall while I was at BYU, there were at least one or two members of the athletic department. I think they were, were football players, but I don't remember specifically. Um, where like those kind of things happened, mm-hmm. like they got caught going out to parties and getting drunk, and and then that raised the issue. Like, well, now what do we do? Mm-hmm. You know, because BYU, you know, they may not have the best football team, but they sure like their football team. Yes. <laughs> not quite a religion but it's close, it's close. but it's close um so anyway so so byu is is a really tough place to realize that you don't quite fall in line with mormon teachings and it, it was really hard for me and i thought that i was by myself in that um i did have um at least one friend who um had left the church but he left the church um because he was gay, mm-hmm. um, but he also wasn't a BYU student. He he went to uh, UVU, okay. which is close to BYU. Right. Um, so a lot of the people like live in the same housing for the two universities. Anyways, so 
and, I, and, that, and that's another issue that, that I had um, around this time was the fact that I had been raised to be homophobic mm-hmm. and my perception of, of homosexuality was that it was wrong, it was a sin, um, it wasn't natural, it was a choice. It was just this, this perverted, depraved thing that perverted, depraved people did. Um, and, that was, and that was my perception of it, mm-hmm. you know. And going to BYU, that kind of thing doesn't change because everybody there, if they are gay, suppresses the crap out of it, mm-hmm. you know. Like, you can't get a straight answer from a gay person at BYU, uh, you know. <laughs> Phrasing? <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. but 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 here I was with, with this this very good friend, this close friend. Um, so so here I was. I I was at BYU. I have this homophobic upbringing, mm-hmm. um, in part because of my parents, in part because of just general church teachings and and my ignorance and you know and lack of experience with homosexuals. And I have this really close friend who is gay, and he's like one of the smartest. And most charitable people that I know, like he's, like he's this super awesome dude, right. and he's gay, and and it was it was this thing that I had to confront, mm-hmm. you know, and and that was really hard to like get through that, and and this was um, a little bit before the whole Prop Eight thing happened, mm-hmm. okay. So then when Prop Eight happened, yeah. <laughs> it kind of solidified the fact that I just didn't agree with with the church's stance, right. Um, and this was, you know, kind of in the middle of where, when I, I was kind of having a lot of questions and doubts in general. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. So I, I graduated from BYU. Um, and after a few months, um, I, at, at the time I was, I was working a couple of different jobs. I was working like 70 hours a week. And I, uh. I, I was the Sunday school president, okay? And it was really tricky because I, I was working on Sundays, and part of the reason why I was working on Sundays was because I just kind of needed a break from Mormonism, from Mormon culture. I just didn't really want to go to church. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like, I was kind of in the back of my mind wrestling with all of these things, but I wasn't facing them head on right. and had been avoiding them for at least a year or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I graduate and I, I have these couple of jobs going on and, and, and the, the bishop um, comes to me and asks me one Sunday um, after I'd been kind of skipping out on church mm-hmm. off and on, um, like, like, how's it going? Like, 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 we've noticed that you haven't been coming to church a lot. And, and I said, yeah, well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm working all these hours and it's really hard for me to get to church on time and you know, I'm doing my best to do my calling, but it's just really hard. So the next week or the next time I, I went to church, which I, I think would have been two weeks after that, um, one of the counselors in the bishopric um, comes up to me and says, um, like, we like to, to release you. Like, we thank you for your service. You've done like a really good job. Like we understand your situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and we understand that you just can't really commit to the the calling that you have in the church, right. so we're going to release you from it so that you can you know get things back in order and whatnot. Uh, nothing like like no ill will, like there were no accusations of me doing anything anything wrong. No problem. No, right. No 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 accusations of sin. Mm-hmm. Um, no disciplinary action at all. It was just thank you for your service. 
Um, and then, then he asked afterwards, so next week, would you like to give a talk? Even though he's fully aware that you haven't been coming. Right, exactly, which is the funny part. It's like, like here I am being released from a calling because I can't come to church regularly. Right. And he asks me if I can give a talk the next week. It's like... <laughs> it's a way of softening the blow. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, so... So I, I basically tell him, well, I, I don't think I can make it. I, I'm working a lot, so I'm not going to be able to, to do that for you. Um, and that was the last time that I went to church as a believing active member. Um, after that, I, I went to a different ward. I had moved to a different apartment complex on the other side of town. And I just avoided church. I avoided Mormonism. I just went to work. I did my my activities with friends and things, but I was having less and less contact with Mormon active Mormon friends. Um, I got involved with the local music scene, and that kind of opens your eyes to a lot of, you know, the the non Mormon crowd in Utah, um, which is a lot bigger than people suppose, um, especially for people like me who their whole experience with Utah um, is at BYU. Right where everybody puts up this front that they're a good active member, you know. And so so a couple of years, I, I kind of became a little bit of a recluse, um, but I also started doing a lot of research. I started coming across a lot of, like, Christopher Hitchens' writings. Um, I listened to a ton of his, like, debates and lectures that are on YouTube. Um, some Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris. Um, I came across the Atheist Experience, um, which is a, a great program. Um, they have excellent conversations with believers, non-believers. Like, they talk about anything. Like, they've been around for, what is it, like 15 or so years, um, you know, doing this public access thing where people can call in and talk to them about whatever they want, really. Um, so they have some great resources there. And so I, I basically, during this period, realized that I didn't believe in God and that I probably never really did mm -hmm. that I had no good reason to suppose that there was a God that I never really received an answer to a prayer um, and that was weird mm -hmm. you know it, it was a weird sort of realization and I, I didn't really know what to do with it so I didn't do anything with it for a long time mm -hmm. um, after a, a few years of that <laughs> mm -hmm. um, just kind of being in limbo like being an atheist but not knowing how to be an atheist right. um, I, I got laid off from the job that I had which sucks right. by the way don't recommend it <laughs> <laughs> um, which any believer would have told you was because you stopped going to church I'm, I'm sure that there are people that would have said that mm -hmm. um, but during that time obviously I had a lot more free time mm -hmm. um, so I started blogging writing stuff basically I, I used my blog as like an on online journal to kind of solidify my thoughts solidify my um, arguments for and against different things mm -hmm. um, it was also a way for me to kind of collect all the different resources that I had found um, and and just kind of put it all in one place mm -hmm. um, I mean there are a few people that read my blog from time to time but for the most part I think it's just for me you know, just kind of, just my thing. Mm -hmm. um, it's like an online journal. Yeah. So, 
so anyway, so I did this blog for a little while, and that was fine. But after a while, um, you kind of decide that you need more, right? And I was coming across more and more people in my in my circles that were having problems with the church. They were they were having struggles and questions and things, and they were kind of in the position that I was a few years ago, um, where I, I felt alone. I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know how to deal with these things or how to go about researching these things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I started kind of reaching out a little bit. And that's more or less how I got to where I wanted to do a podcast. And that was a, a while ago, like a few months ago, that we had talked about this originally. Yeah. Um, but uh, we didn't really do anything with it for a while. But then, you know, we had the experience on Facebook over, the, uh, was it July, we- July 4th weekend? Oh, yeah. Um, right, where I posted a satirical photo of uh, a church leader. Mm-hmm. He, this particular church leader, Boyd K. Packer, was uh, very much against homosexuality, very much um, opposed to the movement. Um, gay marriage was just like the worst thing ever to him. So anyway, so, so I post this picture of him with this uh, rainbow overlay, okay, this is when everyone is putting the rainbow overlays right after right. gay marriage has been right. so, legalized. Right. The, the Supreme Court comes out with their statement about gay marriage being legal. Everybody shows their solidarity with the movement by changing their Facebook picture to their picture with a, fa- with a, a rainbow over it. Mm-hmm. And I do the funny thing, at least I thought it was funny at the time, of putting the rainbow over Boyd K. Packer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just left it there. Nobody really said anything for like the first day, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of my old um, Mormon friends from my, you know, my youth, my home ward is what they call it, mm-hmm. um, started posting comments about how disrespectful it was, how they couldn't believe that I would do such an insensitive thing. Right, because they knew you so well. Because they knew me so well. Like, right. Like these are, these are people that uh, I literally have not spoken to in 15 years. Right. That like my only contact with them at all is on Facebook, and they're acting like like I've done this egregious thing that they can't possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. Basically, um, what ended up happening over that over that week was the like we had this this big in depth conversation about Mormon doctrine regard, regarding homosexuality, uh, whether or not homosexuality is a choice, whether or not. Boyd K. Packer said these insensitive things over the years, whether or not he had any role to play over the years with Mormon homophobia. Um, and then... <laughs> and then he died. Boyd like K. Packer... Two days later. Boyd K. Packer died in the middle of this conversation. And it just exploded. Okay? Like, it just kind of just vomited on my Facebook page. And it was just... It was exhausting, yeah. just, just navigating through that conversation because I had, I had people commenting, like like some people that I haven't seen in forever, some people mm-hmm. that I'm super close to, um, you know, members of my family, um, and and the most vocal people in that conversation um, were against what I was doing. Like they were, like they thought that everything that I was saying was bad and evil and that it was completely insensitive and they were missing the whole point about Boyd K. Packer saying these things to the, the gay community and having this detrimental effect. And, and by the way, like just kind of throwing it out there, Utah, uh, which is 
you know, Mormon headquarters, has the highest uh, teen suicide rate in the United States. Mm -hmm. And a large part, part of that is gay teens, gay Mormon teens. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... <laughs> Like, to say that that people like Boyd K. Packer make these insensitive comments about homosexuality, it doesn't have an effect on the Mormon community in Utah, and that doesn't have an effect on, um, you know, gay Mormon teens killing themselves. I mean, that, that's just, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Right. It's like, how do you not see that connection? And that was more or less the point that I was making in this conversation that I kept trying to drive home was like, like there is a connection here. Like your beliefs do matter. Like you can have your beliefs and that's fine. But they can't harm other people. Exactly. And and that was just a, that was a bitter pill for a lot of people to try to swallow. And well, most of them didn't even pick up on that. Right, right. All they saw was that I was um, opposing something that a prophet of God had said. And that meant that I was a wicked apostate. Um, I didn't even state anywhere in this conversation my position on mormonism right. like most of the people participating in this conversation have no idea that i don't go to church or maybe they do now i don't know <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um so anyway so so that was that was like i don't know that that conversation still i i read that every once in a while and it just is just crazy to me mm. like everything that was said the direction that it took the direction that people tried to take it right like it was just a roller coaster it was just it was just maddening mm -hmm. so um so after that happened um i i started um trying to like get a little bit more involved with the well, not necessarily the atheist community um a little, a little bit with the, the ex-Mormon community. Um, I took screenshots of that conversation, uh, pieced them together, and then put it on the ex-Mormon Reddit. And then I, like within like the first day of posting this, um, somebody who I also hadn't seen in, in like 15 or so years um, contacted me and said, hey, we know each other. <laughs> And it turned out to be a person from my, my home ward from when I was a kid. Um, we grew up together. Both of our parents were very close. Um, I, I don't know if I necessarily want to give specific details. Anyway, so 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 out of this came um, an exchange, an email exchange over a few days where we just basically got caught up on like, I don't want to call it ward gossip, but I had been kind of out of the loop from a lot of the stuff that was going on back home for for a long time he kind of got me up to speed on a lot of it and in in this conversation i i realized that um a lot of people are in this same position that 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 he's in that i'm in that you're in where we just are wrestling with all of this stuff mm -hmm. by ourselves and we're and we're all doing it at the same time right but we're doing it independently right and that sucks. Yeah. And that and that is bothersome to me. Mm -hmm. um, especially looking back at my experience when like the 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 points where I was, you know, wrestling with the the deepest of my concerns with with religion, I just felt completely isolated. Right. And it's it was awful. Mm -hmm. Um you know, being where I am now, it, it, I'm a lot better. 
But when you're going through that, like a faith crisis is is exactly that. It's a crisis. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it makes you reevaluate your whole worldview. Yeah. And it's tough. Like there's a whole lot of things that you have to work through. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's kind of, you know, what brought me to doing this podcast, kind of re-energized my interest in it. Um, using this as a platform of helping people um, kind of communicate, share their stories, um, just regular people, mm-hmm. like like reconnecting, and uh, so yeah, that's that's where I'm at. <laughs> that was like a million questions wrapped up. In <laughs> um, you want to talk about where your family's at right now? Um, yeah, um, I my my parents are in a, a rough situation right now. I won't get into, go into any details. Um, their faith in the church, as far as I can tell, is still intact. Um, I have some concerns, but again, I don't want to get into details about it. Um, my mom is one of those people that's like, she. I don't know if she will ever seriously question or doubt the church. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she's capable of doing that. Right. It would be like a mental breakdown, I think, if your mom right. ever came to that conclusion. Right. I don't, think she'd be able to handle I, I don't know that she would, would handle it no. at all. No. Um, which is kind of sad, but at the same time, like she has built these walls around her where everything in her life is Mormonism. Yeah. And that's what she's comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And at the point in her life where she is now, if she broke away from that, like I don't know that she would be able to function like even like on a like a, you know day to day basis. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just not giving her enough credit. I don't know. I can't say I know your mom very well, but I would more or less agree with your assessment. Yeah. Um, some of my other siblings. Um, for instance, Jason, he's one of my older brothers. He, uh, he's very active in the church. Um, he and his wife are, are you know, diehard Mormons, but they're also very progressive minded, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily liberal, but they, they are social people. They interact with people that aren't Mormon. They, they have kind of this mindset that Mormonism works for us, but your thing's good too, <laughs> which is fine. Mm-hmm. Like, like they, like, like I've had a couple of good conversations with them about religion and about my position on it. And they've always been very respectful to me. Um, some of my conversations with my mom have not gone so well. Right. She's very passionate. She's very passionate. She, she thinks very, very much based on her emotions mm-hmm. um, for better or worse. Right. And that makes it very difficult for someone like me, who does not think based on my emotions, mm-hmm. um, to convey things in a way that isn't going to offend her. Right. So me just even asking the question a lot of times puts her on, on the defensive. Well, when I'm around, it's quite often her that brings it up, which has been surprising to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, yeah, and the last few times that it's happened, I... I just kind of let it be. I don't really want to engage her, mm-hmm. um, in part because of the situation that's going on. But also, I just... It happens at inopportune times. Mm-hmm. And I just don't have the energy a lot of the times that it happens for me to just dive into it and challenge her on all of these things that she's saying. And 
and I just know that it's going to implode. It's not going to end well. She's going to, you know, resent me for a while, you know, because the, or that's resent herself. or resent herself um, because that's what's happened in the past. <laughs> you know, that's been her reaction a few times, um, especially in our earlier conversations. Um, I remember um, one of the first conversations that we had after I told her that I had stopped going to ch church and that I now consider myself to be an atheist. Um, you actually told her you consider yourself to be an atheist. Mm -hmm. oh. um, I'm sure I knew that. Yeah. Um, her response to that was that she had failed me as a mother. Yeah. And that just angered me mm -hmm. um, in a way that I don't know that I ever could be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. I did not experience the emotion of anger until I left the church. Mm -hmm. I. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting actually feeling anger, and and that's a a thing that I've heard a lot actually is people leave the church for one reason, like say historical issues or problems with the Book of Mormon, um, archaeology, like mm -hmm. that kind of stuff, um, and then they find out after they've left the church for those reasons, they find out other things mm -hmm. or people say things to them yeah. that. And that's when they get offended, mm -hmm. you know. And yeah. a lot of people assume that because somebody's left the church, they left because they either are offended mm -hmm. by something that somebody said or did, or because they want to sin or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, on the surface are generally accepted, at least in Mormonism, as superficial reasons to right. stop going to church. Right. And I, I suppose to a certain extent it is, but mm -hmm. um, I mean, if you don't see something as a sin, then. Why would you join a church that says that that thing is a sin? You know, right. <laughs> <laughs> superficial or not. Um, anyway, so so when my my mom told me that she had failed me as a mother, that's when I I realized the harm that comes from religion. That even a, a religion that that like Mormonism promotes people being nice and friendly and generally um, you know helpful towards other people. Um, like there's this under underlying issue, this this uh, this process of thought that they have b based on core values and beliefs in their church, that makes them come to the conclusion that when their child leaves their church, they have failed as a mother. Right. It's like like how you get to that point. Like it's I don't know. Like it's it's crazy to me, and it's and. To me, that's the evil that comes from um, this kind of belief, right. uh, this kind of worldview. Right. Um, like the if, patriarchal system, that's where it resides. That's why it's there. Um, yeah, like that's certainly part of it. Um, I was more referring to like the way that they come to um, beliefs that they, ha that they have, um, you know, the way that they come to truth, as they put it sometimes. You know, how do you know that something's true? Right. Um, the term, the term that a lot of people throw around for that kind of mentality that I've found myself holding is anti-theistic, um, not just an atheist, an anti-theist. Um, so I guess in a certain sense, I am anti-theistic, but I don't know. I don't feel quite so aggressive about it as some people do. <laughs> Maybe I should. I don't know. Um, Anyway, any other questions? We only talked about your mom. Oh, that's true. I do have a yeah. ginormous family. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Jason. I mentioned Jason. Um, my, my older sister, Melanie, 
Um, she she knows that I have stopped going to church. Um, I'm pretty sure she knows that I'm an atheist. Her husband is a professor at BYU. Um, so I don't know if she will ever seriously, openly doubt the church. Mm-hmm. Because that would mean, um, you know, career suicide for her, her husband, husband, potentially. Um, maybe not. I mean, maybe BYU is lenient on spouses leaving the church. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, Let's see. My brother Bryce, I've never talked to him directly about it. He did make a, a few comments on my Boyd K. Packer um, thread. Mm-hmm. Um, he basically said that I should just take it down, mm-hmm. that it was an attack on religious freedom by keeping it up. Mm-hmm. Which. That was a common scene in that thread. Yeah, that was, a, yeah, that came up a few times. And, uh,. So, you know, hearing somebody that, that I'm close to, like my, my brother Bryce, saying something like that, that, that kind of thing hurts. Like, I, I could handle the, the comments from, like, friends who I hadn't seen in a long time making those sorts of comments in that conversation. But when he said that, you know, like that, that hit a little bit harder. Um, my sister, Megan, um, she has left the church. She's actually gone one step further than I have. Um, she she is yeah she has officially resigned from the Mormon Church. She has removed her name from the records. Um, I have not yet done that. I probably should. <laughs> I, it's definitely something that's been on my mind a lot more, given you know the the course of of events in the last few months. Um, right, but uh, yeah, I, I just haven't gotten around to it yet. So maybe that'll be something that I do. I don't know. Um, Melissa, um, she lives on the other side of the country right now. Her husband's going to medical school doing, I think he might be starting a residency. And she is probably the closest to my mother out of all of the siblings. Um, She's very much dedicated to the church. She believes it entirely. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had a few conversations with her. Um, early, early on, like before I even told my mom that I stopped going to church, um, I remember having a conversation with her about contraception and, and how, um, you know, contraception would go a long way in helping the AIDS epidemic in Africa. Um, and she just couldn't see my point of view at all. Um, because in, in her view of Mormonism, this isn't necessarily universal, but in her view of Mormonism, contraception is bad Um, it goes back to the whole multiply and replenish the earth concept um, have as many kids as you can Um, and they have I think four kids and they still haven't finished school yet (laughs) so we'll see how that goes Um, although I I will say that her four little girls are just about the cutest little girls I've ever seen yeah they are really cute and uh yeah um and then taylor the youngest um a lot like you said with with your brother christopher Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways kind of became an only child Mm -hmm. everybody else was a lot older got out of the house a lot sooner he became much more independent um and for a long time i used him as an excuse to avoid talking to my family Mm -hmm. about these things um especially since he hadn't gone on a mission yet. I didn't want to plant seeds of doubt in him before he got on his mission. 
and then have my mom resent me for making him, you know, come home early or not even go mm-hmm. or something along those lines. Um, but he's, you know, he's, he's back now. He's at BYU. Um, he didn't comment in the, the Boyd K. Packer picture, but he did like a few of the comments, which pretty much uh, tells me what his position is. Um, he, he's in that missionary mode. He's in the, the BYU Mormon mentality. He, I don't, I don't know if he, um, can look at the church, the church objectively, if he can look at like the uh, historical problems and the archaeology and all that kind of stuff or polygamy. Um, so I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I guess, is there anything that you miss about church? Well, um, like you said, there's that sense of community. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, I haven't ever found a, a community base like Mormonism. And part of that, I think, is, uh, well, there's a few things. One, I'm just not that kind of person. Mm-hmm. I just don't go out and find groups of people to join. Right. Um, that's just not who I am. Mm-hmm. But uh, I can't remember what the other point was. um yeah sense of sense of community is something that is is missing i suppose Mm -hmm. oh i remember what it was um another part of that is that in in utah county where we live Mm -hmm. everything is mormonism um and and so that that includes social structures Mm -hmm. that includes social groups Mm -hmm. and so it's really hard to get a social group going in a place like this, if you're not Mormon, right. because everybody else just goes straight to the Mormon thing, mm-hmm. and you know, so yeah, but but again, like that's not—I don't think that's a reason to go to church, um, at least not a Mormon church. Like you can maybe maybe justify going to a more progressive Christian church or maybe like a Universalist yeah. Unitarian church, something like that, mm-hmm. but. I, I can't see any reason to go to a Mormon church. Well, that's our show. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, remember that you can email us at circlesquaredpodcast at gmail.com or leave us a review on whatever platform you find us on. You can also check out the show's blog at www.circlesquaredpodcast.blogspot.com. And we will see you next time on the Circle Squared Podcast. Adios. <laughs> Adios. Should have said adieu. 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 <laughs> <laughs>